Hi, my name is Patricia DeFonte, and you're listening to How the F Do I Podcast with Marta and Ben. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of How the F Do I Podcast with Marta and Ben. This one's going to be an interesting one because today it's not How the F Do I Podcast with Marta and Ben. It's actually How the F Do I Podcast with Ben, with just me. Marta is MIA for this episode. Levi has made the baseball playoffs and we could not resist holding off this episode any further. So we made the executive decision that uh, I am going to run this solo today. So I hope everyone is strapped in, ready to go. I will admit I am a little nervous without Marta, but uh, we have a fantastic guest to talk to today, so I have no doubt that we're going to vibe really well. I know it's been a while since we've put out an episode. Um, We really appreciate everyone's support so far and um, just continuing to stay engaged with all of our episodes. This is going to be the last episode of the season, everyone, which is crazy. We've had such a great season and such amazing guests. Marta and I are going to go off, enjoy the summer, and come back in the fall with a whole nother season and a whole nother um, set of guests. So um, I hope everyone has enjoyed all the episodes and continue to connect with us on socials. How the fuck do I podcast on Instagram? We're always down to hear suggestions and um, ideas of what you guys want to hear from us. So without further ado, I want to get straight into it because I am so excited about this guest today. Marta and I have talked a lot about this particular subject, and it's got me thinking a lot about my future and Marta's as well. And so I'm excited to have Patricia DeFonte, who is an estate planning attorney uh, and the owner of DeFonte Law, to discuss how to create a will, the difference between a will and a trust, and how to get started in the process of a will. I think this is a super important subject, especially for people our age, because we don't think about it. So we've decided to bring Patricia on board. Patricia, thank you so much for coming on and welcome to How the F Do I Podcast. How are you? I am great. And thank you so much for having me here to completely nerd out about something that I love, that (laughs) I think is fun and creative and exciting. (laughs) Absolutely. When Marta and I started talking more and more about this and she introduced me to you, it was definitely uh, an education for me. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be important for our listeners to kind of learn more about this and understand the importance of what a will is. So we'll get right into it. I, I first want to start off by I think it's super important to just give a brief introduction of yourself. Um, how did you lean in towards towards this type of law? Sure. So um, I was born in San Francisco and I've kind of lived around California, lived in Europe for a while. And my background, my professional background starting from really college was in entertainment. And I did that for a really long time. And I did that here and in Los Angeles and in Rome. But when I came back to the States and I decided to go to law school, then I flipped that into let's become an entertainment lawyer. So I did that for years. So I worked at a firm that was full service entertainment and intellectual property law. And then I had kids and I discovered that I really like being a stay-at-home parent. And instead of being out of the workforce for two years, I took nine. When it was time (laughs) to get back to work, I realized I really like my role of parent. I really want to be around in the evenings and going back to entertainment was not something that was going to fit in with the rest of my life. Really lucky to have very good friends who practice estate planning, who 
have really satisfying, intellectually stimulating, and emotionally happy lives. So I went back to school and um, got a master's degree in estate planning, probate, and trust admin. The education was important. The access to the brain trust was equally important. Um, and I happened to go to school at a time when the amount of money that you could have before the federal government would tax your assets after you died doubled to $23 million. So really, how many people die with $23 million? Not too many. So the conversation really changed. And um, it became much more of a social justice question and much more of an issue of, sure, we're going to create these documents. The documents, the tax stuff can be important, but it's not really the driver for why this work is so important. I'm really glad that I found myself in this area of the law. It makes me very happy. I'm on year six of having my own firm where I can control my own schedule. I work with really happy, proactive people who enrich my life. And just, I run into them all over the Bay Area and now down in San Diego. And it's just, it's been a blessing. I love that. I feel like you've uh, you've won life kind of figuring out your own schedule and what you want to do. And I commend <laughs> you for that. Uh, a lot. So one of the things that I wanted to get into and was one thing that I was really kind of hung up on when we first started having our conversations was the misconception of young people not needing a will. I mean, I, that was my first thought was like, well, Patricia, why am I even speaking to you? I'm not 75 years old yet. Um, I want you to kind of dive in a little bit. Like, why do you think it is important for someone like myself at a, at a younger age to actually have a will now rather than later in life? It's a great question. I want to back it up a little bit more and just talk about an estate plan. Um, everybody starting at the age of 18 needs an estate plan. And that doesn't mean that they need a three-inch thick binder full of all kinds of complicated documents. It can mean that they've gone to their doctor and they've gotten a really terrific advanced healthcare directive, filled it out thoughtfully, had it witnessed or notarized, and then shared it with their loved ones and their doctor so that people know what is supposed to happen if all of a sudden they can't abdicate for themselves to the medical community. Everybody should have a durable power of attorney because once you're 18, nobody can get into your bank accounts, sign your tax return, talk to your university. There are all kinds of barriers, right? Because now you are an adult. Um, and maybe you also need a really simple will just to direct where your stuff goes so that there's no confusion and everything becomes very streamlined because Often, if you don't say who's supposed to be in charge, then it's going to go 50-50 to your parents. You might not be in a great relationship with them. You might want to take care of one instead of the other, or you might decide, well, actually, you know, I don't have much, but I want to leave it to the SPCA because they're really important to me. And that's where it's really going to make a difference. It's not going to make a difference for the older generation, but I can, I can push something forward. I could help a friend pay off student loans. I could do something with a little that I have that would help someone else. And it makes things easier for everyone else. Because if you don't do this, if you don't do these things, hopefully it's the people who love you and not the people who want to control you are going to go to court. They're going to be trapped in there. And either they're asking to have you conserved. And everybody knows what that is now because of Britney Spears, right? Yeah. You could be completely controlled. Um, or after you die, they're just in trauma and you know, we don't want that for people. So you don't have to, an estate plan doesn't have to be this big, serious thing. It can be a small, serious thing that's maybe 
15 pages total, and then you've really taken care of it. And then every three years, take a look at it and say to yourself, well, is this still appropriate? Do I need something a little bit more? Do I want to change some of these people? How am I thinking about this now as I grow older and I'm reflecting on who I am, who my people are, and who I want to take care of and protect? Does this, do these documents that I signed, you know, three, four years ago, do these do the trick or do I need to revise? Yeah. And I think you touched on a really important fact about having an estate plan when you're 18, because we talked about this, life will happen. Yeah. You can get in an accident. You Something could happen to you. Something can happen to you physically where you cannot actually um, be able to communicate like where things should go. And that was the biggest reason for me is like, yeah, life happens and shit happens in this life that you can't expect no matter what age you are. And once you're 18, your family or whoever you deem cannot get to those assets without going through the state, right? If, if I'm understanding that, you can make There's it easy for them to, process. Yeah, to yeah. take care of you. And that was the biggest reason of like, you, you should not wait to do this. When you're 18, you become an adult and this is why it's important. And even if it's, you know, 15 pages long, at least you're getting started. So I, I think you bring up a lot of great points and I want to emphasize that to, to our listeners of this is why you need it because of life happens. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, let me share with you the good news that for any adults listening, if you do have young adult children, college age, go back to your estate planning attorney. They will probably do these forms for you as a courtesy for your kids. Oh, so I don't know a lawyer who does not do this as a courtesy for their adult children. Um, and if you are young and listening to this, ooh, you're going to be such a good grown up. Um, talk to your parents because it, you guys might be able to get like a good package deal that just takes care of everybody um, in one go. I often, for my clients who have young adults, will do durable power of attorney, advanced health care directive. Every once in a while, we'll do a will, and then I'll get asked about the FAFSA forms for college. FAFSA is the document you need so that you're chosen grownups can communicate with the university. Yeah, I think you brought up another great point and it was actually uh, another one of my questions um, later on, but we'll touch on it now is asking your parents if they have an estate plan and a will set up and making sure that they're prepared as we get older, because I'm obviously at that point and my mom will listen to this and she'll say it, but like I'm at that point where I'm an adult now and she's going into later life, uh, making sure that your parents are properly uh, prepared as well. You know, it's so important. And when you talk to your parents about estate planning, you can't talk about the stuff. You can't say, you need to get organized with the stuff because I don't want to have to be in court after you die. Because then they think that you're walking around their house, putting your sticker on things, deciding what you want. <laughs> the way that you want to talk to your parents about their estate plan is, listen, mom, dad, where's your advanced health care directive? Because I need to know what is supposed to happen. We have to talk about it and I need to know where it is because if you go into the hospital, if you get in an accident or if you develop dementia, I don't know what to do. I don't know what you want. And so let's talk about this. Let's do it. Um, hey, mom and dad, again, if you guys bump your heads, how do I make sure? Am I the, Do I need to be in charge? And if so, how do I do that? I don't know what to do. Do you have documents? Is there a binder? Is there a lawyer? I don't know what I'm charged with. And I really don't want to, if you guys all of a sudden cannot take care of yourselves, have to go to court and tell a judge, dad can't use the bathroom on his own anymore. And he's giving all his money to a Nigerian prince and mom's in a coma, like on and on and on and on about their frailties, because you have to prove that the person 
cannot take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's tens of thousands of dollars expensive because you have to get doctors in and experts and it's um, time consuming and it's emotionally exhausting. It's a terrible, terrible, I mean, being in court anyway, even if you're just there for a breach of contract can be emotionally taxing. If you're there to have your parents conserved, you're going to be in therapy for a long time. It's really, really bad. And so I think that if parents expect that the next generation is going to step into these roles and take care of them, if emergencies happen, they need to be given the tools to do that. And I'll say that it really does protect an older couple. And a lot of times you'll hear, oh, well, we did our estate plan 20 years ago. It's all done. Nonsense. Your estate plan is never done. You have to see the lawyer every three years. There have been such big changes in the law. But who knows what's in there in that old document? It's And it, a good estate planning lawyer will make you put all your cards on the table. Let's look at all the stuff. Make sure the insurance is right. And so you're really protecting like the surviving spouse, your surviving parent. So it'll be awful for them when they lose their spouse or partner. Yeah. Let's make yeah. the legal side of things easy. And then ultimately, when the second one dies, it will go smoother for you. But we're really, really worried about that surviving parent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just it alleviates so much that you would have to go through no matter if you're taking care of your parents, if you're the spouse. It's just, again, an estate plan will will set you up to go through a process easily so that you can focus on your mental health of going through the life changes. So I think that's really important. You said um, when we spoke earlier, uh, there's three things that you need to know about estate planning. Um, I don't know if you remember us talking about that, but can you mention those three things again? I do. I always say this. From a client's perspective, estate planning is only about three things. It is about 705, I mean, so many things. It just goes on and on and on. But from your perspective, three things. Number one, what about me? And we just talked about that. How do I, what documents do I need to let people take care of me? Really important so that I don't have to be conserved so a judge doesn't decide who's taking care of me and what they're allowed to do. What about my stuff? Now you have options. You can do nothing. And then the statutes of the state where you live determine who gets your stuff. And it goes by the table of consanguinity, which is, uh, sounds like vampire brunch, but it's just a statute. <laughs> it goes along with your related it does. Oh. <laughs> you can have a will. And with a will, you get to say, I don't like what the statutes say. I want to leave my stuff to whoever I want to leave it to. I don't want to leave it to my parents. I leave it to the SPCA. I don't want to leave it. To my kids, I want to leave it to my neighbor, whatever you want. The third way is through using a revocable trust, or it's called a living trust or a revocable trust. And with that, you not only get to say who gets it, but you get to protect this person's privacy. You get to make sure that they don't have to go through an expensive court process, because depending on what you're giving people, if you're giving them big ticket items, those things might be quote unquote, subject to probate. And that can be very expensive and it can take a long time for the asset to clear and actually get to the person you're leaving it to. So we really, really want to protect the beneficiary's privacy. And that's something that you can't get with a will. Once you die, someone is going to take your will and they're going to bring it to the courthouse. And the judge is going to stamp it and put it in their outbox. And then someone is going to scan it and it's gonna become part of the court record and it'll be available online, but also anybody can walk into the courthouse and get it. It will also be widely available on the dark web where grifters and creeps and predators will be 
calling your people and wondering if they want a new love interest or do they like this business idea or just there with their hands out. Only a trust can protect the privacy of your beneficiaries. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows what they're getting. And you also get this wonderful control from the grave. So if you want to leave $250,000 to your friend Jordan, but Jordan has a substance problem and battles that, maybe we don't leave Jordan cash. Maybe we leave Jordan money in a way that it's always a safety net for Jordan and there's money for recovery for Jordan, but there isn't just a pile of potential cocaine money for Jordan. We have yeah. to be really careful. And it's the same thing when you have minor children. You have to be very, very careful how you leave them money. The old way of thinking was, oh, just give them their money when they're 25, 30, and 35 years old. That'll do. No, that will not do. I don't like that at all. <laughs> what I prefer is to say, you can always come and ask the trust for money, for whatever it is that you really need, healthcare a dignified place to live, money for travel to see the people that you really need to see, to stay connected to family. Whatever is important to you, you can write that into the trust. And, you know, you can also come and ask for things like help buying a house. Maybe you need help buying a car, big ticket items. And then eventually, if you want to allow people to actually pull out cash, we, in my firm, we do it in intervals. So maybe you're at least 26 years old, then you can pull out 15, 20% and go see what you do with it. Go check and see what you're going to do with it. Right. Even with this approach, my firm takes a really cautious attack towards it because we say, listen, before you get your money, why don't you let the trust pay for your financial advisor and your CPA? Let's build a really, and your lawyer, let's build a really strong team around you so that when you pull this money out, you know what you're doing with it. And it's not, let's go to Vegas. It's let's invest it. Let's be prudent. Let's fund the retirement account. Let's do things with this money. Big, important things with this money, money for your well-being, money that's going to really help you live a fruitful and um, interesting life. Not a, you know, it's not just a mad panic about money. Can some of the money go to a Vegas trip? No, I'm just kidding. Some of the money absolutely <laughs> go to a Vegas trip. But you know, 33% of people who inherit squander it within three years because they have survivor's wow. guilt. Wow. Yeah. So Vegas that, is a little dangerous. That is an incredible stat. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you I know, like to leave four years before they get that next tranche of money. Go see who you were with that first bit. Go figure yourself out. And then four years later, here's more money. You'll do a better job. And then four years after that, if you want to take the rest out, you can. But notice I'm not saying the trustee has to give them the money. Your beneficiary, the person you choose, whether your kid or whoever it is, they get to decide whether or not they want to pull out that money. Because how many people ran into creditor problems during COVID? How many people lost their businesses? How many people run into terrible creditor problems because they have a healthcare issue? Right? And it happens all the time in this country. And so it, we really need to let people decide when they want to pull that inheritance out. Because once it's in their own bank account, Anybody can get their hands in it. Anybody that they owe money to can attack it. On the other side, what if the person's really successful and they're getting RSUs and their company's going IPO? These are all big taxable events. Money coming out of a trust is a big taxable event. And I don't want my client's money sitting around in the IRS. I want the beneficiary to have a lot of flexibility to play that tax game 
and make sure that most of the money winds up in their pockets. I mean, if everyone listening to this podcast at this point is not running to make phone calls to find an estate lawyer, which we're going to get into, I don't know what to say. I think the biggest thing that really stuck out to me, and I want to repeat it, is uh, control from the grave. I think that was a really cool kind of saying is, is even though you're gone, it doesn't mean that the effects that you have are, are gone on your uh, family. And I think that's a really powerful thing. And this is this is the way to do it, to, to continue your legacy and to make sure that everyone is being taken care of in the right way. And I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know what else is going to get people to jump on this. Let's do the scariest one. What about my kids? Yeah. In California, your children go where it's necessary and convenient. So you're out on date night. You're not coming home that night. Maybe you're never coming home, but maybe you're coming home in a week. Who knows? Please go to the door. Teenage babysitter watching the kids. Well, the teenage babysitter is not an adult. Lacks legal capacity, cannot just be the one in charge. So who do we call? Well, if you don't have a really good nomination of guardians, if you're not very, very clear as to what's supposed to happen with the children, and my clients know to put the first page of the nomination of guardians tacked on the refrigerator right next to the number for poison control. The police come to the door, they start working through that list. If you don't have this set up, it, it could be your horrible sister, your creepy neighbor, it's somebody who seems fine to the police, they seem fine. Um, but even if you are organized, the old way of doing guardianship is you name the guardians in a will. Now, even though you have a revocable trust, you still have a will, it's just a technical document. Your Honor, I died. I have some children, or I don't, and I'm married or I'm not. I have a revocable trust, Your Honor. Stamp this and put it in your outbox, generally speaking. The old way was to name the children, their birth dates, some, God forbid, their social security numbers. Makes me insane. Um, and then the guardians and the guardians' full address. But we've all already established that winds up on the dark web. So we don't want that to happen. Here in California, we're really lucky because we can decide document. At my firm, we do, and it's about six pages long to start. We list emergency contacts, permanent guardians, and then lots of information, who we don't like, who we're nervous about, and how do we feel about religion, education, um, diversity and inclusion, mental health, access to other family members. Who are your best friends growing up? Let's list their information. They're gonna your children are gonna wanna hear stories about you. Let's list everybody. These are the people who really know you, know your mind and know your history. Why is this really important? Number one, if the worst thing happens, it keeps your spirit alive for the next people. Number two, just because you write down who you think should be in charge doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. The judge always decides. And it's really important that the judge decide. If you say the guardians are Chris and Jordan, but then it turns out that the court does an investigation and Jordan has a domestic violence ding on his record. Maybe the children aren't going there. Maybe Jordan's mom is living with them and she's terminal and they're basically running a hospice. That's not appropriate. Maybe they're getting a divorce. We really don't know anything about other people's relationships <laughs> when it comes yeah. down to right? Yeah. Um, and so the judge is always going to do a second, a, another investigation to make sure this is in the best interest of the children. And so we don't want to just provide some names. We want to show the judge we really thought about this. And maybe the person you love and think is perfect doesn't look good on paper. Um, I have a client that they wanted her sister who has lupus. That does not look good on paper. So we did a lot of drafting around, we are well aware of her medical history. She is a mother in and of herself. She has a wonderful support community. 
we have left money in the trust to pay for our kids, her kids, and major medical for her. All of this is manageable. This is what we want. Nobody loves our kids like us except for her. So you, you know, there are really touching and beautiful things to write. And what we hope, what we hope with all of this is that you're going to die in Vegas, holding hands with your person, clutching your last poker chip in your hand and you're super <laughs> old. And your people find your documents and they, you know, your kids find it and they look through and they go, oh my gosh, this is so touching. They said that they really love these people. We know all these people and look how they were going to do the money. Too bad there's no money left. This was very interesting. <laughs> they set it up. <laughs> it really is about preserving family harmony and empowering your heirs and reflecting your values. And that's why I said estate planning, it's creative and exciting. It's not here, fill in these forms, tell us who you think should be in charge, and then we'll draft some documents and you sign them. It's really, I don't know what that is. We need a different name for that. Yeah. Because that's yeah. not really estate planning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's almost like a beautiful thing when you're putting it together, like for your life. So I guess, you know, like, let's move into the next kind of phase of this with all this coming together. Like, if I'm someone, how do I even get started in this process? Like, where do I begin to, to sure. find an estate lawyer? Where, like, if I right. just... Joe Schmo, you know, like I have no idea what to do. Where do I start? Sure. So I think a really typical response right now is to go online and see if there are any DIY forms. Please do not do this. Please do not do this. Why? There's no malpractice insurance if the documents are wrong and cause problems. You don't know what you don't know. There are very few areas of law where you can get a master's in this area, and it's not just about the tax. It's about so many things. You don't know what questions to ask yourself to really be able to fill in those forms. The durable power of attorney that you fill in won't work. No bank will take it. It's completely useless. It's just not going to work because the banks know, oh, you did this by yourself. You don't understand what you're signing. We're not taking it because they're afraid, right? They're afraid that you didn't know what you were doing. You put the wrong person in charge, gave them too much power, and then they're going to wind up getting sued if you wake up from your coma. A really good way to find an estate planning lawyer is ask your financial advisor. If you don't have a financial advisor, ask your insurance broker. Nobody should DIY their insurance. You should not go on the internet and get insurance for yourself. It doesn't cost any more if you work with an agent or a broker, and they can really help you make sure that you have, even if it's just a renter's policy and a little umbrella policy, that's wonderful. Financial advisors and insurance brokers are usually very well connected. Um, I get a lot of referrals from both, and they really are there to help their clients mitigate risk. And part of mitigating risk is an estate plan. Start there. If you don't have that, start talking to your most organized friends, the real grown-ups, the ones who keep it together, you know, get it together and keep it together. They can also be a really good resource. Um, People find me through workshops. I do a lot of workshops. Um, and, you know, it used to be that everybody worked with the lawyer in their neighborhood. But since the pandemic, every estate planning lawyer I know now works online. And so you're not limited geographically, although, you know, it can be nice to work with somebody who's really nearby. Um, if your parents have an estate plan and you guys are in the same state, that might be an option. They may not want to work with you. They might just provide a referral, which is fine. The reason they wouldn't want to work with you is, let's say you have siblings. And so we've got mom and dad. 
as clients and also you, but not the rest of your siblings, it could make the rest of your siblings uncomfortable. And a good estate planning attorney is always worried about family harmony, family harmony, family harmony. We don't even want anything to smell funny, but that could be a really good source for a referral for you. So say I found someone and I'm interviewing them. What are some questions? What are some types of questions that I should ask them that are key to get an understanding? So you want to ask them, how are you going to draft my documents? Do you use software or do you have your own forms? If they have their own forms and they're not a very large firm, I almost want to say just hang on. This area of the law is impacted by all the other areas of the law. There could be a judge in Fresno issuing an order in a bankruptcy court that will have an impact on the way that I draft my documents. It's really, really important for a lawyer, I think, to use software because the software developers, well, the people, not the software developers, but like the legal minds who are in charge of making sure the software is up to date, they are very on top of it and they have a whole team. The software that I use, we get updates. There's a community forum. They'll do continuing education. When they update the documents, they show us where and why and relate back to the case. So we can even do our own analysis. Do we agree with the way that they drafted this? How do we feel about this? So I think that that's critical. Um, Experience. How long have they been doing this? What's their educational background? You know, how did they come to do this? Um, A vibe is really important. You might be really comfortable saying, I'm terrible with money and I hate my brother and you know all the things. But you might not be comfortable saying, my dad has a problem with alcohol and uh, my sister's a grifter. Because now you're talking about someone else. But if you want to leave dad money and he has a problem with alcohol, maybe we need to leave it to him in a way that isn't going to hurt him. And if your sister's a grifter, maybe we want to make a note in your guardianship nomination form that all contact with your sister, who seems like a lovely person, needs to be a little bit limited or the children need to be given age-appropriate information as they get closer to adulthood so that she doesn't try to take their money later. Um, All that stuff has to come out in the wash. So the vibe is really important. Ask the lawyer if they're going to follow up with you. I work with so many people who were revising their documents So why aren't you with your original drafting attorney? What's going on? I never heard from them again. This is just unacceptable behavior, I think. It's not hard to follow up with clients. Um, We have all kinds of automated systems that just send the emails out. Uh, My firm, we like to see our clients every three years because we're super ultra paranoid. Um, It's important, the follow-ups. And you might think, I'm the same. My stuff is the same. Everything's the same. My people are the same. What you don't know is that the law has changed. And so you really do need to go back to the lawyer. And um, which kind of brings me to ask the lawyer, do you have a a really robust professional network? Estate planning lawyers should be really good counselors and issue spotters. And if we're not spending a lot of time with financial advisors, real estate lawyers, insurance people, corporate attorneys, if we're not spending a lot of time with other professionals, We don't know what to listen for to spot an issue and get a client to the right professional. And so you always want to ask, do you have a lot of good people around you? Can you help me source the right financial advisor for me? And if they just say, oh, yeah, go to Lisa before asking you 17 questions, just hang up. It's just inappropriate, inappropriate. Um, And then timing. So a lot of estate planning lawyers like me, we only do planning. And so we control our own calendars. The others do 
trust administration, they're doing probates, they're, and they're doing litigation, and they're also doing planning. And so they have a court calendar. So, but so it's really important to be able to set expectations and understand working with that lawyer about how long does it take for a client to get from beginning to end. And there's nothing wrong with working with a lawyer who's in court all the time. I try to spend as much time with them as possible because they are full of all the stories and they help me issue spot without me having to go through the pain of litigation. <laughs> um, so it can be, especially if you have something a little bit more complicated, a little bit juicier. I love the idea of working with somebody who litigates because their creative solutions are wonderful. And they've also seen somebody else's creative solution, maybe hit the bricks. Um, so just their wealth of experience. <sighs> yeah. So it's a lot. That's awesome. It's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. It's the software, the experience, the vibe, how much time it's going to take, the follow-up, their professional network. It's all important. But it's great. I mean, like, you know, again, when you're creating your estate plan, you you need someone to be thorough and to have an understanding and that you can trust. And I, I think I think vibe is a really important thing too. Um, so I, I appreciate you giving all these all these tips because I think it's super helpful for anyone. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, so um, we talked a little bit about and I, I even started this podcast off uh, you know talking about a will. Can you explain to me the difference between a will and a trust? Sure. Yeah. A will is a, it's a mechanism that's used in, I think, every state where you can say, this is where I want my stuff to go. I'm going to name my own beneficiaries and I'm going to decide who's in charge of making sure that my stuff gets where I need it to get to. After I die, I'm going to name my own executors. While you're alive, that document does nothing. It just does nothing. And you can change it at any time. Anytime you like, just make a new one. So absolutely free to do that. Once you've died, it's lodged with the court. And then depending on where you live and how much stuff you have, we're off to the races for what can be a really long time. Um, here in the Bay Area, and also I think in some jurisdictions in Southern California, if there's real estate involved, it can take up to two years for a probate to clear, to to be completed. Um, and those are, that was pre COVID. So I think the courts are still a little bit backed up. It might actually take a little bit longer and that's if everything's perfect. And remember it's public and how does the lawyer get paid by statute? So if you own a house, let's say you own $200,000 worth of a $1 million house, the lawyer gets paid a percentage of the fair market value of the house of the full 1 million. So we're already into tens of thousands of dollars. It is incredibly expensive if you have real estate to have your assets transfer by will. So it's public, it's stressful, it's really expensive, um, it's chaos, it's terrible. I don't draft will packages for clients anymore. I've just stopped. Um, I have some referral partners that I'll send that out to. I generally will only do them for the children of my clients when they have, you know, young adults, but otherwise I just don't offer it as a service anymore because I really don't like the lack of privacy and I don't like the false confidence that it gives people. Oh, well, I have a will. And then they forget four years later. That's not good if you have a house, but they just forget. When you have a trust, then you don't have to go through the court system. You don't have to pay a lawyer tens of thousands of dollars just to transfer your house to someone else. 
You get all that good control from the grave and everything remains private, 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 private. Yeah. It is yeah. the way to go. So no doubt in your mind, the most important thing to get is a trust before a will. Well, it's all part of the same estate plan, right? So you're going to have, if you have a trust, you still have the will. You do it all at the same time. And I would absolutely say that the trust is the better vehicle. There are always going to be some exceptions. If you know that when you die, it's going to be a bloodbath and all of your kids are going to go after each other, use a will. Because then it's immediately under a judge's nose and a judge is going to slap those kids around like no successor trustee can. It, and it's going to be immediate and it's going to be harsh and they're just going to go straight into a probate. Um, that's one scenario where I really like that. <laughs> Otherwise, no. Mm, no. And I don't work with that type of client where everybody hates everybody. I work with happy, happy people. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, the other thing that you talked about with us was uh, the advanced healthcare directive. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that yes. does? So advanced healthcare directive, this is wonderful. And you can actually do this today on your own. Anybody can, any adult can. You can get it from your doctor. You can Google California Statutory Advanced Healthcare Directive or the name of the state where you are. You can go to your local medical center and um, most of them online, like the, you know, the big medical centers, they all have a version online. And sometimes they have a little quiz that you can take. And what you're doing is you're saying, look, if I can't communicate with the medical community in a rational way, if they're asking me, do you want this operation? And I'm talking about what happened on TV last night. If I just cannot advocate for myself, these are the people that I want to advocate for me. And this is what I want them to do. I want them to make sure that if I die, my organs are harvested. I want them to make sure, you know, so that's always the big ticket, right? The organ donation. Um, sometimes you want to name your primary physician who should be called in. The standard form is pretty good. Who's in charge and what's supposed to happen? Are we pulling the plug or are we taking all extraordinary measures to keep you alive? Those are the like the really big ones. There are additional things I want you to think about. For the LGBT plus community, it's really important to add in that pronouns be respected, that healthcare providers who respect the community are sourced because there's a terrible, terrible epidemic of recloseting as um, the LGBTQ community ages or becomes infirm. Um, the healthcare community can be um, conservative. And so we really want to advocate for people um, and not have them have to suffer the indignity of a recloseting or the indignity of being addressed incorrectly. Um, if you do not share a religion with your spouse, with your parents, with your people, address it. If you want a priest, if you don't want a rabbi, if you want a traditional Jewish burial, if you don't, like whatever your thing is, if it's not kind of the basic thing that your family always does and that's how it's going to be, write it down. If there's somebody that you can't stand and should not be anywhere near you, maybe you have an ex, you might want to say the only reason this person should be anywhere near me in the hospital is to comfort our children. I don't want them in the room with me. They can comfort the children in the hall. Um, or, you know, you just hate Jane. Well, write it down because it's easier for your healthcare proxy to just hold up that piece of paper and say, hey, Jane, it says it right here. I'm going to give it to the nurse's station and security. You have to go. She didn't write down why, Jane, and I can't talk to you right now about this. You have to go complain. It's also really important if you are doing IVF to talk about 
what is supposed to happen if you are doing IVF and you haven't had your eggs harvested and you're terminal, can your partner retrieve those? If you're going through an IVF cycle and your partner is terminal, can you take sperm from his body? You have to talk about posthumous children. It's a really hard conversation. Um, so those are just a few additional things that I have all of my clients think through when we do the advanced healthcare directive. Family harmony is paramount. This is one of the most stressful things you can do is serve as someone's healthcare proxy. Here's what happens if you don't have one. Um, and this happened in my family. A family member married for 40 years and her husband was in a terrible motorcycle accident. She goes to the hospital and she says, oh, we, we have to take him off all this life support. We have to take him off. Because the doctors were saying he's terminal. This is, um, this is very near the end. And then his mother arrived at the hospital and said, are you crazy? What are the options? Oh, we could keep the tube in his mouth, give him another feeding tube and bring him to the nursing home. Let's do that. So now we've got the mother and the wife for 40 years. Who's wrong? Nobody's wrong. No, you know, it's only in the scenario where it's a super rich person and they're either trying to keep him alive or kill him based on the tax outcome. But that's really rare. When people are fighting, it's because they all love you and everybody's trying to do the best thing. Oh, this was terrible. Um, elderly auntie, the life of the party, has dementia. And she's wonderful and everybody loves her and she likes to cook and eat and hang out and dance. She got diagnosed with diabetes. She has dementia. They, no matter how many times you explain it to her, she doesn't hold on to it. So what do you do? Do you treat her for diabetes and take away her food? Or do you provide palliative care and keep her comfortable and happy until she passes? World War III in this family. Because nobody ever thought to do this work with, work with her when she was initially diagnosed. And nobody knew what to do. It's terrible. Wow. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, when we're going, when someone is going through this process, what are the types of things that they should protect or control? Do you mean assets? Yeah, assets-wise. Like, yeah. what what are some of those things? Sure. You know, what's fun about a revocable trust is it holds absolutely everything. Your pets, your pants, your pots. It can be the beneficiary for your life insurance policy. It's going to have all your real estate in it. If you own a business, it can hold your ownership interest in the business. If you are a little bit famous, or if you're just a person in California, it holds your right of publicity. You can bequeath your face, your voice <laughs> um, to the next generation. And, you know, it's important. It's important, especially if you are a little bit famous or a lot famous, to address this with your estate planning lawyer. Work with clients who are um, infamous um, drag queens. And the last thing they want if they die is for their families back in other places to use their image on a conversion billboard. So it's very, very real. The things that you don't even know that you own. Really, everything goes into the trust with a very few exclusions. Um, retirement accounts are a little bit different and wiggly. But generally, what we want is everything going in the trust. And that lets me talk about trust maintenance. <laughs> so once you have your trust, you sign it, it's an empty box. Now, if you own real estate, the lawyer right away is going to have you sign deeds that transfer your real estate into the trust. Okay, woo, we got the big ticket items in there. Then they'll have you sign a document that says all of my intellectual property, my pets, my pants, my pots, all of my stuff goes into the trust. Then you have to think about all of your bank accounts. 
And the lawyer can't do that for you. You actually have to go to your banks and you have to call your insurance broker and get the beneficiary changed on your life insurance policy. But a good lawyer will teach you how to do that. And the trick is you have to keep doing it. Change banks, change house, change job. Make sure that everything is always flowing into that trust because that's what's going to save your surviving spouse or partner. That's going to save their sanity. And then, you know, when both of you are gone, if you're leaving money to children or to other people, it's going to set them up for success. You have to be really careful that you haven't, and this comes up every once in a while, an ex-spouse as the beneficiary on a life insurance policy um, or, oh my gosh, I do have that, you know, that account at that bank and I forgot all about it and I I left my ex-boyfriend as the beneficiary on that account <laughs> oh, no. because it's easy to forget. Nobody ever makes yeah. you go back and look at that stuff and it's not what you're thinking about during a breakup, right? Divorced couples are generally better at it, but unmarried couples, they forget all about their beneficiary designations. And that's where it can just be a big mess. So estate planning and seeing your lawyer every three years, that makes sure that you're doing all of that work and keeping everything clean and on point. Yeah. Again, I think it's important to reiterate through this conversation that building a trust is an ongoing uh, process uh, in one's life and something that you always need to be kept on. And I, I think you brought that up a couple times. So like uh, you've touched on this a little bit uh, in our conversation, but if you have kids and are creating a guardianship through this process, how do you identify relatives who make good guardians? Yeah. So it's really personal. Um, a lot of my clients, they assume that their parents are going to want to be the guardians, but they actually don't want that. What they want is their parents to be really great grandparents and not have to navigate the high school system or being a disciplinarian, um, helping the kids through enrichments, just the time and energy that it takes to really parent you know, a young child. They want their, their own parents to just serve as grandparents. A lot of clients do not want their kids moving back out, moving out of California. They want to keep the kids here. They moved here for a reason, um, for cultural reasons, and they want their children to grow up as cultural Californians. And so we write in some language that says, we love our brothers and sisters. We love our family. And there's money in the trust for visitation, and there's money in the trust for the annual get-together and for the holidays, but we don't want our children growing up there. We left there. It's not what we want. We have very close friends. We have other people who are raising their children in a similar way um, that is culturally appropriate for our kids. And these are hard things to write because it's really hard not to be accusatory. We're not trying to denigrate the way anyone else lives, thinks, believes. And when people move to Northern California, sometimes it's for the cash. I'd say 90% of the people I work with, it's the culture and it's what they want for their kids. And they will rent a two bedroom apartment to be able to stay here um, when they could, you know, go buy a, a giant mansion back in the wherever. Uh, California can be a value. And so, again, teeing it up really well so that you're honoring everyone, you're using very loving language and really explaining why. And then I think it's important to go to your family and explain why. 
Sometimes people don't want to because it's like, that's not what you want to walk into the family reunion with. Oh, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I have some news, everyone. Everyone, please sit down. Yeah. Uh, so I don't like you. I kind of like you. <laughs> yeah. 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 We thought about you, but then no. Um, a lot of clients will write really loving side letters. Dear mom and dad, dear brother and sister, we can't express to you just how much we love you. You're really important to us. And the way that we want you in our children's lives, if the worst thing happens is in this way, yeah, not so as a guardian, but different in a different yeah. role. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess again, I, to, to kind of reemphasize if you're picking a specific guardian, it is important for you to look at everyone that's around you and your family and to kind of communicate this ahead of time. So everyone kind of understands right out of the gate rather than it be such a surprise. And then you get almost, almost you're avoiding more turmoil than the family would already be in. If, if you were gone is essentially kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. And you know, one of the things you have to think about is this home where the children will go and live. What's their economic status? Because if, you know, while we're alive, we have so many competing interests for our money. We all feel like there's never enough money. I promise you that once you die, if you'd work for the good estate planning lawyer, there's going to be lots of life insurance money. They're going to make sure that there's enough liquidity for each surviving spouse. So if the worst thing happens, avalanche of money for the kids. So your kids are not worried about where they're going to go to school. They're not worried about where they're going to live. They're not worried about much of anything. They don't have economic problems. They have a lot of other problems, but money isn't one of them. What's it like for them to live in a house where the family's struggling to pay the mortgage and the kids don't know how they're going to pay for college? I write a lot of little mini trusts. But, you, know, you have your irrevocable trust and within it, the way that you leave gifts is with little mini trusts. It's all part of the same document. I write lots of trusts, just money for the guardians or an educational fund for the kids just to make sure that everybody has, when they're very young, access to the same enrichments. If I'm going to helicopter camp, you're going to helicopter camp. We're going to helicopter camp together. Um, you know, Music lessons, soccer, whatever it is, everyone's going to college. Everybody's gonna have that opportunity. No one's gonna have student loans. Um, that can also, remember, family harmony. This is their new family. We want, money can smooth things over, and I think that's a really good use of money. Agreed. And I think that, you know, if you have all of this in place, you could feel a lot more comfortable about going to helicopter camp. <laughs> helicopter camp is real, by the way. I I'm covered. so in on it. I would love that, but I won't do it until my trust is set up properly with you. So uh, we'll, we'll eventually get there. Um, I think another important thing that we need to touch on besides just family members, and we pretty much consider them family members, is our pets. What about our pets? Yes. What happens to our pets, our sweet pets? What? Yes. Okay. Generally, if you have kids, the pets go with the kids. And in my trust, I include language that say the children's pets, the trust pays for everything for them. Because if we need to take extraordinary measures at that point with a pet, we're going to do it. We're going to keep that pet alive. Yep. If we're leaving a pet to someone else, the math problem that I like to use is whoever's in charge, that successor trustee is going to find a veterinarian who's going to do a life expectancy. Well, it's this kind of a dog or this kind of a bird, and it's anticipated to live X number of years. So we're going to give whoever it is, this, this wonderful person that's going to take custody of the pet, they will get X amount of dollars times the life expectancy and just give them a lump sum. And if the animal lives longer, well, and if the animal didn't live that long, well, you know, fine. Um, but it's nice and clean and it's a really nice way to do it. Now, if you have animal like 
a horse, if you really have animals, um, big expensive ones, then we move into pet trust territory because the care and maintenance of this pet can be extraordinary. If you have a show dog, that's a completely different economic realm from enough money to, you know, I just ask clients, well, you have this little dog. How much do you spend a year on the dog? Oh, you know, it's $500 a month between the vet and food and grooming and the dog walker. Great. So what is that per year and how many years? And there we've got the math. Um, with more exotic animals, with animals that live a really long time, we have to dig a little bit deeper because um, it can really be a burden on the person that you're leaving it to. Um, and it can be a lot more money. And so what we don't want to do is if it's a horse and it's a quarter of a million dollars, say, here's a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> um, we want the trustee to maintain control over the assets and just dole that money out as it's appropriate. Yeah, I, there's definitely people out there that probably own horses that want to protect them and yes. are very special to them. You know, you don't think about Absolutely. that and realize it, that, you know, they're, they're part of your family. So you brought this up when we were talking about healthcare. Um, what are some considerations for uh, specifically women and LGBTQ um, people to take into consideration when going through this process? I know that you mentioned there were some unique things that they should be paying sure. attention to. I say this all the time, estate planning safeguards women. And it's not just us getting our estate plans done. One of my girlfriends says, inheriting is so nice that women do it twice. We're going to inherit from our parents and then we're going to inherit from, if we're with men, our male uh, spouses and partners. We should demand from our parents that they complete an estate plan because it's grueling and brutal to try to wrap up someone's estate if they haven't set it up properly. So really, you know, we talked about how to talk to your parents about estate planning, but you really have to think about the impact on you and really advocate for yourself to make sure that the people who are counting on you <laughs> respect you enough to have an estate plan. For women, estate planning can be really critical when if we think in a more traditional role where she stayed home and he's been out working and she takes care of everything, but he does the insurance and the finances. Well, what happens when he dies? Because statistically he's going to die first. She doesn't know who any of these people are. She doesn't know where the documents are. She doesn't know if things are adequate. Very close friend of mine, her mother lost her husband, sudden heart attack. She discovered that while they were living in a 10,000 square foot house, the house had absolutely no equity and he had, because he was playing the markets, really dug a financial hole for them, all in like three years. Estate planning safeguards women. Get your mother with her husband, with her partner, to the estate planning lawyer, because that's all cards on the table. You know, some people say, oh, it's not like that for all women. No, it's not like that for all women, but it's like that for most women. And it's definitely like that for most women who are, let's say, 50s and up. It's very, very common. And so it's critical. When I say estate planning safeguards women, I'm looking at it from a very traditional standpoint, and it's very important. Um, and it, you know, it's important for young women for the same reason it's important for all people. But I think that because we inherit from other people and because um, we're not in the inner circle of the advisors, and because of the way that old school advisors don't actually talk to the wife. They just, 
think she doesn't understand anything. It drives me insane. Yeah. So I think it's really important to work with an estate planning lawyer that listens to both people in the couple, that draws them out, that really gets them to talk about how they feel about their kids and what they're worried about and forces all of the financial cards on the table and really creates a plan. Look, when he dies, here's how this, we know where everything is. We know who to call. We've written down the financial advisor, the CPA, the insurance person. We have all that list. It's all here in a binder for you. And by the way, when he dies, come to me and I will help you go through all of this and we will figure it all out together. Um, can bring really empowerment and a really good sense of peace of mind. Again, I think it goes back to, especially for women, you need to vibe with your estate planning lawyer. It's more important than probably men <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, but it's really important to work with somebody that doesn't discount the opinions of women. And we all know men like that. And um, I'm not around them very often because if I find myself around them, I leave. Um, but it does happen. And I can usually see when they come to me for a restatement, I can see it in the documents. I can see the lack of care, the lack of respect given to her position that she is expected to, if he gets sick, take care of him. But he and the lawyer decided, oh, long-term care is too expensive. You could absolutely have afforded that, saved her health. It's really important to work with a lawyer who sees you. Yeah. Um, and then you asked me about LGBT plus clients. LGBT we talked care. about the advanced health care directive. You know, there's definitely some fear now with the potential overturn of Roe v. Wade and the impact that that's going to have on what we think our constitutional rights are. Is it the first domino to fall? Is there not going to be gay marriage anymore? We don't know. And we're not going to panic about that yet. We can run around in circles screaming about things that might happen Right now, I'm not advising clients to do anything outside of the norm for my married um, LGBT plus clients. I think that one of the big issues that can come up is so many LGBT plus people have created children in non-traditional ways, sometimes not using um, the genetic material of both people, right? So when you think about the definition of child, does your child meet the definition of child in your parents' estate plan. Because there's some, there's a paragraph somewhere that says child. A child is defined as, right? Yeah. So you really need to ask your parents what is the, and it's hard because often, and you know, this comes up for, um, for all couples because not everybody can successfully use their own genetic material to create a child. And so, and it's not something you want to talk about with the rest of the family. It's none of their business. Um, so we kind of use some nice sneaky way about defining a child. Um, most of the documents include adopted children. And so through that mechanism, that can be really important. Um, I always loop in a family law attorney when I'm working with clients who um, among friends created a child the old turkey baster route, because um, I like to have everything locked down perfect just in case. Just in case. I think parentage is really, really important. What if there are people in your family that you don't want to have access to your assets? How do you go about making sure that those people are not able to get to those assets? Is, is there a specific route? You mean to you like inherit your stuff? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. So... If you disinherit someone, they really don't lose anything if 
they attack, if they sue, what are they losing? Nothing. They don't lose anything. If you give them just enough so that it would hurt and tell them, if you can test this, you lose it. Then chances are maybe you have a better chance of them not coming and litigating because we really can't stop anybody from demanding a piece. And generally the way these things go is, you know, you got three kids, you want to cut one out because they're a monster, you die. And that monster goes after the other two and makes their life a living hell. And so the other two go, fine, take some of the money. The problem is that's not a clean inheritance. And so maybe they're gift tax issues, income tax issues. It just creates a mess. And it might lead to litigation, and this stuff can go on for years. It, I think it's really important in those scenarios, if that's what you're looking at, I would work with an estate planning attorney who is also a litigator because they've seen all this stuff. And they're really going to be able to tell you, you know, in my experience, what I've seen with your asset profile in this kind of scenario, this is what has worked. This is what the courts seem to be doing these days. Um because it's really hard because your gut is, I don't want to leave them anything. One way to do it also that um, seems to be gaining some traction is maybe for the two who are fine, you don't put so many controls on the money. You say, you can come to the trust and ask for money for anything. And if you want to pull all of it out of the trust and live your own life, have at it. But for that one, you say, you know what? You are a sneaky little bugger and I'm not quite so sure about you. So here's what I'm going to set yours up a little bit differently. And you can have money for health, education, maintenance, and support. Your trust is a safety net. And that's what you can have money for. We're going to make sure that you have the basics, but we're not giving you cash ever. And if you don't agree with that, you can go and approach a court and talk about how unfair that is. And you can try to unwind that, have at it. But we think that this is what's best for you, given your inability to get along with people. Um, we think you're vulnerable. And so we were going to protect your money in that way. I think that's so important because rather than just saying we don't want them to be touching, you know, our assets when when we go, why don't you know, why don't you take a dip, different perspective? And and as you said, and I just want to emphasize this, it's what's what could be best that we could help set them up in the right way, in the right direction. Uh, you know, I think that's a much healthier way of looking at it where you can actually again, you're you're controlling from the grave, which I love. I almost think that's like the theme of this is, <laughs> is um you know, I, I think that's a really good, I didn't even think about that type of perspective of, of rather than saying don't, you can say, no, There, we, we want to take care of you in the right way. I loved working with a client came to me. She said, I want to change my estate plan because I want to change all the charities that I'm leaving money to. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. Tell me about your family. She told me all about her brothers and her nephew, and they're all such wonderful people. And I said, uh, so who else is important in your life? And she says, oh, you know, I have a couple of friends, but really like, you know, these men, my brothers are amazing and I love them. Okay. Um, how come we're not leaving them anything? Oh, and I kind of knew because we'd gone through like the brothers and they didn't have good jobs and everything's kind of um, like, there's something going on here. She said, oh, um, they all really battle with alcoholism. And if I leave them money, I'm afraid they'll drink it. And I said, well, we can leave it to them in a trust so that there's money for recovery and dignified housing. There's money to help them and not hurt them. And maybe they never get cash, 
but there's money for them. They don't all live in the same place. The trust could pay for them to have a vacation together. We can do all these creative things to bring them together and care for them without giving them cash that might hurt them. She just burst out crying because the former lawyer just did what she t- what they were told. I want to leave all my money to these charities without talking to her about it, without asking her anything about the structure of her life. So estate planning, I'm telling you, it's creative and exciting. It's really fun. I love it. I love that you can get creative. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple more questions for you. So just just to wrap up, I mean, so when going through this process, are there any other things outside of the scope of estate planning that someone should consider um, to protect themselves? Oh, yes. Let's talk about insurance. I don't sell insurance. I love insurance. To protect your stuff, umbrella insurance. Don't DIY your insurance. Get a good agent or broker. Ask around, ask your friends, ask your lawyer. Umbrella insurance sits on top of your home, your renters, your auto, and it provides additional liability. You're out driving around, you smash into some piece of public art. Oh, two million in damages. Oh, you don't care. You don't have two million dollars. Okay, fine. They'll garnish your wages until they get their money. It's so cheap and you absolutely want to have it. Disability insurance is wage replacement. The number one thing that you own is your ability to make money. If other people are counting on you to make money, you need disability insurance. Whether or not your work policy is appropriate, you should have that evaluated by either your financial advisor or an insurance professional because the policies vary wildly, these employee policies. And if people are counting on you and you die, you've got to leave them with a life insurance policy. And it can't be just the one from work because when you lose that job or you leave that job, you can't take that insurance with you generally. It's very rare. And if you're going to quit and start your own business, you might not qualify anymore for life insurance because you've had a health change or you're older and it's very expensive. This is something I want people to do when they're young and healthy and get a lot of it. And really think about who I'm taking care of. When I have couples come to me and they, oh, you know, we have $500,000 policies each. That'll be enough for college, which I think is hilarious um, because it won't. And not anymore. Will it? I don't think so. It's just terrifying. I have two teenagers. Um, (laughs) I tell them, look, I want you to really look at each other and say, if I lose you, I want you to have enough money to do and then start making that list. Pay off the house. Get the, you know, pay for the kid's school. Take some time off of work. Whatever it is that you guys think is important, you make that list and you assign numbers to it. And then you tell the broker and they'll have some questions for you too. And then, well, they'll show you that quote for a $10 million life insurance policy. And you will float back down to earth and get something a little bit more reasonable. If you take incredibly good care of each other, it's an avalanche of money for the kids. And really keep an eye on when those policies expire. One of my closest friends lost her husband. She was 52, he was 57 aneurysm, gone, one moment to the next. They had let the life insurance lapse because the kids were out of college, out of the house, don't need it anymore. She sold her house because the policy that he got from work, $250,000. This man made $750,000 a year, but it was all bonus. So she got $250,000. She's not working. She's taking care of her older mother. She had to sell her house. These are terrible things. You always want to be looking at How's my partner? How's my spouse? Because it's more likely something will happen to one of you. And then again, if the worst thing happens, there's just money everywhere. Yeah, that's amazing. 
Well, Patricia, this was this was awesome. I, I really can't thank you enough. I mean, I think you you gave so many different tidbits. Uh, you know, I'm before we go into into the our fun speed round. I want to know um, for everyone that's listening because uh, Marta and I just ha- you know knowing you and um, thinking that you are by far the best estate planning lawyer. Are you taking new clients? And if so, how can people contact you? We're always taking new clients. And, um, you know, if we're not the right fit for you, we can usually find the right fit for you. We work with clients throughout California on Zoom. Most of our clients have little babies. And so they don't want to meet in person. The world is not safe yet. And um, we've really been enjoying working on Zoom. And we absolutely indulge in the work mullet. Um, I can be reached. The best way to do it, the fastest way to get somebody to respond is through our website, which is defontilaw.com. If you just Google my name, Patricia DeFonte, it pops right up. If you ever meet another DeFonte, we are related, or they married one of my 5,000 cousins. Um, that's really the best way, because if you come to the website, it goes to an email address that half of my team receives, and so the first person who gets it will respond. Um, so you'll hear from us in really short order, and the process is we want to spend 20 minutes talking to you. We'll send you a little email asking you some real basic things. Do you have kids? Do you have real estate? Where do you live? Um, 20 minutes for us to explain the way that we provide estate planning and um, for you to interview us to figure out, is the vibe okay? Some estate planning lawyers want you to come in for an hour, an hour and a half. And what they're trying, so it's almost like the whole big first meeting where you have to tell them everything. And then they hope at the end that you're going to work with them. I like to do a 20 minute Let's just see if we're the right fit. And if we're the right fit, the next meeting, let's go. Two hours, tell me everything. And let's figure out who's in charge and who gets what. But that first 20 minutes, I like to do it even sometimes just on the phone. Um, And let's just see, are we a good fit? Because you can really tell a lot in just 15, 20 minutes. I love it. And we we will obviously uh, promote Patricia and the website on our socials and, and when this when this episode goes up. So we'll be sure to, to make it super easy for everyone to get to. Well, thank you so much. I want to go into the speed round. Uh, we do this with every single one of our guests. Uh, it's supposed to be fun. Learn some fun facts about you. I'll just ask quick questions. You're going to give very quick answers. And then we'll uh, that, that'll be the episode. So um, Patricia, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. Okay, here we go. All right, so favorite or most unusual asset you've worked with uh, with a client to protect? An Oscar. She has an Oscar. And we thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if it's properly insured. We checked in with a really good referral partner who does insurance. Um, an Oscar is worth $1. And when you die, you're supposed to give it back to the academy. You cannot, because you're not supposed to sell them. So that was a little disappointing, and um, she's still stewing on it a little bit as to what we're going to do with this Oscar, but that one's been really a lot of fun. That's incredible. (laughs) That's a good one. Um, Okay, weirdest case you've ever heard of? Oh, this one makes me angry. There was a young cadet, West Point cadet in, I think, Maryland, and he was terminal. He was like 22 years old. His parents flip out, and they go to a local judge, and they say, Your Honor, we have to extract sperm from his body because this is our only shot at grandchildren. And the judge says, okay, get the sperm, but don't do anything else. Come back to me before you do anything else. So they go to the hospital, they do this. He passes away. They go back to the judge, Your Honor. Okay, we successfully retrieved the sperm. Now we would like to use it to create grandchildren. And the judge said, yes. 
I don't know what this says to us about what other people can do to our adult bodies, but I find it reprehensible. The parents were grieving. They were out of their minds. But for a judge to say, yeah, sure, go ahead. I mean, I can't imagine anyone's going to work with them to create a child because this is lunacy. Um, this area of the law, this ability to store genetic material, this ability to create posthumous children, it's dangerous and it's cutting edge. Um, and so some of our scariest cases come out of that area of the law. Oh, I don't like that story. That's a weird one. That's a very weird one. Uh, what's the one possession or asset you want to protect the most? I'm a real estate person. And so I I live in San Francisco and I'm lucky enough to be grandfathered in to the to owning a home. I don't want my children to have to leave because they can't afford to live here. And so making sure that my real estate can get to my kids so that they can live here if they want to um, and just be the next generation of San Franciscans is really important to me. Love that. Being a uh, San Franciscan myself, I am on board with that for sure. <laughs> what do you do to unwind at the end of the day? So I, um, my office is on a slow street in Noe Valley. And so what I like to do is I walk home and of course, the walk home is ridiculous because there are people hula hooping and um, there is a garage door that has a button. And if you press it short, you get a kid song. But if you press it long, you get an adult song. So there's usually a little dance party happening there. And it's just Amazing. a really fun, silly, almost a mile walk that completely changes me from pro professional Patricia to home Patricia. And it's it's a great transition. I love that. What what is your happy place? Oh, I have these two best friends, and my happy place is anywhere that I can be with them. I love that. Preferably, you know, if we're in Mexico or Hawaii. Um, but really, <laughs> sitting in my garage is fine. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, when I decided that I was going to um, get back into law, and I. I told my dad, dad, you know, I'm going to open my own shop and I'm joining this entrepreneur incubator and I'm going back to get my master's. And he said, this is incredible. What you're going to find is that it's going to make you young again. You are going to be inspired and engaged and you're going to be around people who are hungry and want things as badly as you do. You can't do anything better with your life than have a really strong second act when you're 50. I just I love, love it. And it was That's all nice. true. That's awesome. I guess it leads me to my next speed round is, uh, what's your favorite age so far? You know, I really loved my forties and that's, I, that's when I had my children and I was a stay at home mom and it was, um, it was an absolute honor and a pleasure and full of surprises. I didn't ever imagine myself at 40 in museums and sitting through symphony rehearsals and sitting around with my girlfriends where our kids were asleep, all reading books and having impromptu book club where we're all reading something different, but talking about it. It was stunning to have so much intellectual freedom to go where I wanted, read what I wanted, watch what I wanted, talk to people about anything because most of my girlfriends were also on hiatus from pretty high intense careers. It was pleasurable. <laughs> it was I love lovely and exhausting. It was all the things. But for anybody who thinks that, you know, stay-at-home parents are just doing laundry and wiping boogers, we're not. We've got a whole other secret life going on that you, because you're so tired and working all the time, 
you can't really listen to us explain that great article we read in the New Yorker. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. And last question, and this is mine and Marta's favorite, in one word, fill in the blank, happiness is? My family. I love that. Well, Patricia, thank you so much again. I, I cannot thank you for how um, for just dumping all of your knowledge into this episode and for um, helping our listeners live better lives. I think there are so many different takeaways from this. You know, the biggest thing for me is control from the grave. I, I love that. I think that's incredible way of looking at it. And it's important to control from the grave now and to set yourself yes. up now so that uh, you know, for me, it's it's taking taking all of this in for myself. It's it's to go and and to be able to live a comfortable, healthy life, very stress free, and knowing that life is going to happen, and you're going to be protected, and your family, uh, and everyone around you is going to be protected. I, I just I can't thank you enough for you know bringing this knowledge, and I, I think it's going to be a super important uh, episode for a lot of people. So. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day um, to to talk to me. Um, and I know Marta would say the exact same thing. Thank you so much. Anytime I can talk about this, I will come and talk about this. It is such an important topic. Estate planning is a social justice issue. It is for everyone, not the rich, not the old. I mean, yeah, it's for them too. But it's it's for all of us. It is for all of us. I guess we have to have another episode uh, three years from now because it is important to continue to talk about your trust plan, your estate plan and trust. Uh, So everyone, we're going to do this in another three years when laws have changed and relationships have shifted. So we'll be sure to to promote this episode. Everyone, thank you so much. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and found value in it. Please let us know what you think on socials. And uh, Patricia, again, thank you so much and and have a great day. And what an episode. We'll see you, you. everyone. Yeah, we'll see everyone uh, in the fall. Here's a wrap. See you in three years. And we'll see you in three (laughs) years, Patricia.